For over a year, I've been uh, praying a prayer in the hopes that God will train me to stop whining and complaining. Most times, I don't spout my grievances out loud, but I've often confessed an internal dialogue, a narrative of negativity about some inconvenience or annoyance in my life. So I found this prayer that I included in my pastor's notes last year. It goes like this, Father, I repent of a default attitude of whining. I repent of seeing the glass half empty. I repent of catching others doing wrong and missing what they do right. I repent of grumbling about not having what I haven't even had enough faith to receive. I repent of uh, complaining about leadership as if I could do better. I repent of thinking the grass is greener elsewhere. I am done with being a whiner and complainer. I hereby declare that I believe your promises to me. And today I will be grateful to you and the people in my life. Thank you for all that you do for me and all you have done and all you will do when I have the faith to receive it. Those final lines of that prayer are hopefully resolute. Yet I find myself having to re-up in my desire to be positive and to be better every single day. As we all know, it's hard to be hopeful all the time when you live in a broken, often dysfunctional world. One of the lines of that prayer sticks out to me on the second Sunday of Easter. That is, I repent of grumbling about not having what I haven't had enough faith to receive. Could this be the affliction that I share with St. Thomas the Apostle, also known as Thomas the Doubter? So where was Thomas when Jesus visited the disciples for the first time after the resurrection? Some point to John chapter 11, verse 16 for an answer. In John chapter 11, Jesus journeyed to Judea to raise Lazarus. And even though religious leaders there were threatening to kill him, to stone him. Although it isn't stated specifically, one could assume that the apostles are despondent about the trip. All except St. Thomas, for he bravely says, let us also go and die with him. It seems that at least at that moment, Thomas had youthful enthusiasm and an illusion of invulnerability that he was unafraid of the consequences of being associated with Jesus of Nazareth. So some speculate, perhaps Thomas boldly roamed the streets of Jerusalem after the crucifixion and during the Passover in full view of the chief priests and the Pharisees. Or perhaps Peter asked a volunteer to venture out of the upper room into the busy streets of Jerusalem to pick up some milk and bread, as we say. And Thomas leapt at the chance to get out of that cramped quarters of the upper room where raw emotion filled the air, maybe, maybe not. But I prefer a more human explanation, one that includes our weakness and perhaps your weakness as it is mine. It seems like Thomas, for lack of a better word, might be pouting a bit, might be complaining a bit, a little bit, might be struggling. And really, who could blame him? For scriptures chronicles that Thomas doesn't believe the apostles when they tell him that the risen Lord had appeared to them. Even though Thomas's ten closest friends had reported the same thing, talk of his resurrection from the dead was ridiculous to him. He rejects it. Maybe these silly reports were the consequences of their grief, 
an incident of apostolic group think, if you will, to calm their shattered nerves and their serious disappointment about Jesus' claims and promises that seem hopelessly lost when his executioners rolled the stone in front of his tomb. Thomas was weary too, perhaps in his own grief. He became convinced that he was the butt of some cruel joke with his brothers, the disciples. Maybe he's even a little angry that if all this did happen, why was he left out to encounter this risen Savior? Thomas seemed paralyzed with pride and resentment. As the prayer says, maybe he was grumbling about not having what he hadn't even had enough faith to even receive. It was unfair that the others had had their moments with Jesus and he did not. I mean, the other 10 who had not betrayed Jesus had their moment with Jesus. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary had their moment with Jesus. All Thomas got was a room full of beaming, rejoicing apostles who can't wait to tell him what he missed. That the Lord had appeared to them and breathed the Holy Spirit on them, giving them authority to forgive sins. And too bad you missed it, Thomas. That would certainly be hard to take. What about me, he must have complained, at least in his heart. But Lord, I repent of grumbling about not having what I haven't even had enough faith to receive. So just imagine the week that St. Thomas had, and undoubtedly like a bunch of friends sharing a story about an epic moment, the topic of every conversation, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, most assuredly was about, or at least returned to, this amazing experience of, of the appearance of Jesus after his mangled body had been placed in the tomb. And then say, after lunch, here comes Mary Magdalene to compare notes as about her encounter with the risen Lord. Was it similar to theirs? Was it longer? Was it shorter? What did Jesus look like? Had he forgiven them? Yes, if Thomas was anything like us, perhaps he was pouting, complaining inside, feeling like the odd man out. But as we just heard, Jesus appeared again. And this time, Thomas was present, and he offers them peace once again, a deep-seated peace, shalom in Hebrew, a peace that is not predicated on earthly blessing or human circumstance or human safety. It was a peace that was beyond anything from this world. And then Jesus turns to Thomas and invites him, the one who lacks the faith to receive the gift of the good news of Jesus' resurrection, to put his finger into his nail marks and his hand into his side. Many artists have provided images of Thomas awkwardly probing the wounds of Jesus. But John's gospel doesn't describe Thomas's response. It seems more likely than rather than sleuthing around in his wounds that he was paralyzed. He probably didn't move a muscle save that of his tongue as he proclaimed, my Lord and my God. Sometimes we live by the adage that we must keep up with the Joneses next door. Sometimes that's even spiritually. That is, as we compare ourselves to others, we are like Thomas from time to time, pridefully expecting more than perhaps we even deserve. I mean, why does it seem so easy for some people to believe in the resurrected Lord and others struggle? Why do some people seem to have such great 
spiritual insights about Scripture and the spiritual life when sometimes we do not? Why do some people have the ability to be disciplined in prayer when we struggle? Why do some people accept every cross with a faithful smile? And sometimes I ask, why? I know some people that say they just can't wait to die and meet Jesus. Not in any sort of morbid sort of way, but as the Mass says, as we wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior. And so, yet sometimes the rest of us have fear and trepidation about meeting our Maker as we haul our sins before him for examination. Was I good enough? Perhaps on this Sunday as we close the octave of Easter We need to turn to Jesus with gratitude, most especially for his mercy, as this is also Divine Mercy Sunday, when we ponder St. Faustina's mystical encounter with Jesus during her lifetime. St. Faustina saw to it that the rest of us could see what she saw in these visions of the risen Lord, and we call it the Divine Mercy image. And at the bottom of that image, there is a statement that is, Jesus, I trust in you. I trust that you will walk with me. I trust that you will love me. I trust that your timing for the answers of to my prayers will be perfect. So let us pray that we will trust Jesus. That we will enter into the, he will enter into the places of our hearts that are raw from grief, from doubt, from anger or disillusionment. And let us pray that we will be patient, that Jesus will do in his own divine time what he did for Thomas when he saw the risen Lord and believed.